Thank you for joining us and for listening to our podcasts. We hope that this may enrich your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Probably the most popular teaching about who's going to bring the revival in the last three and a half years is 144,000 Jews in Revelation 7. There are a couple problems with that. But they have to have a solution because we're all going to be gone in the rapture. So who's going to put all the enemies under the Lord's feet if we're all up in heaven on a, playing on our harp on our cloud while they suffer down here? So it has to be the 12,000 from each tribe that's mentioned in Revelation 7. All 12 tribes are mentioned. Uh, but wait a minute. First of all, the Lord makes it very clear in the New Testament that newborns or immature Christians cannot be leaders. So he would be violating his own rule there, right? But secondly, in order to get into the church over in Revelation, later on in the book, in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 2, if you want to enter the New Jerusalem, you got to th go through one of the 12 gates that are carrying the 12 names of the tribes of Israel. And the reason is, like Paul said, and please, if you haven't read it, I, I, not because I wrote it. No, I didn't write it. Paul wrote it. All I did was share what Paul taught us about the mystery. The mystery is Israel and the church are the same thing. That's a doctrine that is despised by much of the church and especially by Jews who are born again. They don't like to lose their high, high and mighty position. I'm a Jew and a Christian. I'm of the elect and the select. I know I lived over there as a Jew, as a Christian, and I know what the attitude is. If you say that the church and Israel are the same, whoo, you want to see fireworks. But that's true for many of the Christians. No, that's impossible. Israel and the church are not, to the, sa not the same, and it doesn't matter what Paul said. <laughs> but read the mystery book. It's all... Paul spells it out very clearly. That if you are a believer in the Jewish Messiah, you are a citizen, the literal word is citizen of Israel. In God's eyes. And in Romans 10, he makes it clear, those that have been born according to the promise. In other words, born again, you've got the Jewish Messiah inside, right? And are you going to tell him that he's a Gentile? Are you going to tell him that he was adopted? The, the adoption doctrine, which appears five times, six times in the New Testament, has nothing to do with adoption that we know, modern-day adoption. The word is a Greek word, weothesia, which means the placement of mature sons and Romans chapter 9 says, I'm sorry, chapter 8 says clearly that we are waiting for the redemption of our bodies, the adoption. That's when mature sons will be put in their eternal place. Not adoption. Spirit. John chapter 1 says we have been birthed, the Greek, we were birthed 
by God. Someone who's birthed by God is not a, someone who's birthed by a person is not adopted by that person. They're a son, right? If, you're, if you have been born again, you were birthed by God, by a miracle, through a mighty miracle. And that made you, according to John chapter 1, a son of God. Amen. But the 12 tribes in the church, it's the same thing. It's God's holy nation, and Gentiles are birthed into that holy nation by a miracle of God. And you are full-blown citizens. Amen. Not citizens or half illegal. <laughs> oh, my. Let's go to Song of Solomon, chapter 6. I want to read a verse from there. Have we ever studied the Song of Solomon together? In a seminar here? Well, way many, many years ago, right? When was it? Hmm? Yeah, that's what I said, many, many years ago. We need to study that again, but... In chapter 6, obviously the Lord's lover there is the church, his bride, in, in the Song of Solomon. In chapter 6, the beauty of the church is seen. She is now a mature church. She's now a mature love of the Lord through chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Now in chapter 6, her beauty is described. She is a mature Christian uh, body, and she is an army. says so. But look at what it says. After the glorious revelation of this church, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, then there's a voice, obviously, of the Spirit crying, Return! Return! O Shulamite! Shulamite in the Hebrew means the perfect one. It's the bride of Christ who is now a perfect bride. She's a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And so the voice of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, and I hope he's crying this through you. This is one of my favorite verses. It's one of my favorite prayers. Return. Return, O glorious church. That church that we saw in the Bible, we've seen it. It was there 2,000 years ago. The perfect one. Return, return. Reveal yourself again. And then there's a voice that says, What do you see in the Shulamite? What's so amazing about her? And the answer is, She is as the company of two armies. Two armies, like Jacob had when he came back across and into the Holy Land. Two camp, camps, but it's in the Hebrew it's the same as armies. Two camps, two armies. There are the two witnesses. Two armies. That's what will be needed to carry the gospel to every nation on earth, all 200 of them. Mature, an army, armies of mature sons of God who have the power and authority to do what Moses did and what, what Elijah did. And there's been arguments over the years about who it is. 
Some say it's got to be Enoch and Elijah because it's appointed unto men once to die, and they didn't die, so they have to come back and die. Well, then all of us who go in the rapture, we've got to come back and die too. That's not, that's, the idea is it's appointed unto us once to die. We're going to either die physically or spiritually through the cross. The old man must die. But he doesn't have to die physically. Amen. So it's a, they're mighty armies. But is this your vision? Do you have a vision for the Shulamite, the perfect one? How many of us feel a cry like this in your heart? Lord, we have heard and read of the glory of the early church. But you have promised that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. Grant to your church, Lord, that glory in this last hour. Lord, we want to sit under that anointing and glory and be fed the living word and to feed others that word. Is that your cry? Maybe not the same words, but the same thoughts. Lord, we want your visitation. We want your glory to be seen in the earth. Even if it's not through us, so what? Let your glory be revealed to the needy, the sick, the dying, the hungry, the thirsty. Lord, grant it. The Lord is more than willing to give us eyes, spiritual eyes that see, spiritual ears that hear. But are we willing to make a full commitment to the Lord Jesus? Are we willing to yield our hearts in truth to him, knowing that it, it is the only path to life? Are we willing to say an eternal yes to Jesus Christ? Or, we, or are we still holding him at arm's length? We're not sure that he's what we want in life. Well, if we're not sure that he's what we want in life, then if we're not sure, he's not sure that he wants us either. We need to make a commitment. In your heart right now, can you say an eternal yes, Lord? Here I am, take me, use me, do whatever you want to do with me. I'm yours. I'm yours, Lord. <clears throat> now we want to consider the two comings of the Lord, the first coming and the second coming, and see that all the major details are being repeated right in front of our eyes. But before we see the first coming, I want to give you a very, very brief summary of the most important part of Daniel's prophecy. It's actually the angel Gabriel who gave it to Daniel. We need to see about his 70 weeks. It's the most, it's the most studied prophecy probably in the entire Bible. The 70 weeks of Daniel. Let's look at Daniel chapter 9, 24 to 26. And Gabriel explained to Daniel, he said, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to do several things. To finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks, 
and threescore in two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. We are in troublous times in Israel. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. That's verse 26. First of all, let's consider what a week in Hebrew means. This specific word for week, the first time it appears in the Bible is in Genesis 29 and verse 27. And most of you will remember that Laban, the uncle of Jacob, had two daughters, Leah and Rachel. And Jacob went, left Canaan because of his brother Esau and fled eastward to Laban's place. And Jacob fell in love with Rachel. So Laban said, well, if you work seven years for me, I'll give you Rachel. Okay, well, in those days, the women wore veils. So they had the wedding, all the ceremony, and all the hoopla. <laughs> and lo and behold, the next morning when the veil was off, and Jacob was really fully awake. <laughs> he found out that he had just married Leah, not Rachel. So Laban says, oh, take it easy, calm down. I'll give you Rachel if you fulfill her week and serve me for another seven years. That word week there means seven years. The Bible sometimes, in various places, likens a year to a day in, in, in a good number of places. And this is one, but the word actually means a week of years, a week of sevens, of seven. Um, so he worked for another seven years for Rachel. And so the 70 weeks are 70 weeks of years. In other words, 490 years. The entire history of the nation of Israel as an independent, self-governed nation from within, from Daniel's day until the second coming, they'll have 490 years of self-rule, uh, liberty, and control over Jerusalem. He said 70 weeks are determined upon your people and your holy city. So control of the holy city and self-rule. Both. <clears throat> Incidentally, if you want to know more details, historical facts and biblical facts, you can get the final victory. We go into this in detail. So, then also in Leviticus 25, 8, thou shalt number seven Sabbaths, or weeks, seven Sabbaths, that's seven weeks, of years unto thee. Seven times seven years in the space of the seven months, seven Sabbaths, seven weeks, I'm sorry, of years shall be 49 years. Okay? That's a really important verse in light of Daniel's seven weeks. We see from the pa passage here in Daniel, the 70 weeks refer clearly to amazing specific events that occur in the first coming and events that occur in the second coming. Let's consider it. The first three events, there are six things that he says will be accomplished. Let's read them. He says, it will be to finish the transgression. This is chapter 9, verse 24. To finish the transgression, Jesus did that on the cross. 
to make an end of sins. He did that on the cross. He died for sins. And to make reconciliation for iniquity. All of those three were accomplished by the cross, weren't they? He, he died for our sins, our iniquities. Put an end to them in our lives. Then the second three things clearly will be fulfilled in the second coming. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up the vision and prophecy. Fulfill all the prophecy, all the visions of the Bible. To anoint the most holy. The Lord will do that. The holy of holies. The Bible tells us he will rebuild the temple. Not the antichrist and rebellious Jews. He will rebuild the temple. And the Jews know that. That's why they will not allow anyone to try to rebuild a temple on the mount. They're waiting for the Messiah. So the third, the three uh, Things at the end are done in the last and second coming of the Lord. Okay, three things in the first coming, three things in the second coming. Now look what Daniel tells us. Verse 25. After this explanation, he says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and to build Jerusalem... Unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. Note with me, for those who are checking this out in your Bibles, it is important to note how verse 25 begins. Know, therefore, and understand. Therefore, when there's a therefore... In English, we should ask, wherefore? In other words, therefore means as a consequence. That's the definition of the word. Therefore, well, if you say, therefore, we will do this, that means you said something before it, right? You said this, 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 and as a consequence... We will do this. Therefore, we will do this. Therefore means as a consequence. This is vital because listen to what it's saying. This is saying, in light of what was just revealed in verse 24, if you know that and you understand that, then you will understand verse 25 which can only be understood in the light of verse 24. And the l- verse 24 reveals two comings of the Messiah. Right? Do we see that or no? Are, are you with me? Obviously, the first three things he did through the cross. The second coming, the everlasting righteousness and so on, and anointing the Holy of Holies in the new temple, that's the second coming. Okay, are we with, are you, are you catching this? Really, really important. All right, no wonder the book of Daniel was sealed. How could it not be sealed? Because he had no idea, the people of Israel had no idea when their nation would be restored again. After the first coming. There have been two times in history of the history of Israel that the nation of Israel ceased to exist. Please try to pay attention. You know, for some this is, wow, how complex. It's not complex if we just listen. Two times in the history of Israel they have ceased to be a nation. And therefore, two times in the history of Israel, there has been a command to restore the nation. This is an absolute historical fact. It's not uh, interpretation. Israel lost their sovereignty and nation 
when they were carried into Babylon. The nation was conquered by Nebuchadnezzar, and they were carried to Babylon. In the year 445, the greatest political power on earth, the Persian Empire, which controlled all the known world at that time, which Iran wants to do again, that's Persia. The king of the emperor of the Persian Empire gave a command to restore the nation of Israel. How? He said he sent Nehemiah back to be the governor and to rebuild Jerusalem. And the enemies wrote, and this is so that we understood what was going on, the enemies wrote to the king, the haters of the Jews, wrote to the king and said, if they rebuild their city, they're going to be once again an independent and rebellious people, nation. Don't let them do it. He let them do it. He gave the command. Israel was restored as a nation. And from that command until the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem was exactly 62 weeks of years where Israel had their independence. There was a small gap of 2,300 days when they lost their independence under Antiochus Epiphanes. And so, but they had the independence and control of the holy city for 62 weeks of years, all the way up to the birth of Jesus. When Jesus was born and Herod had killed the babies, he died like three weeks later. Herod was a Jew, half Jew. Herod had absolute rule over the Holy Land, all of it. And as soon as Herod died, the Romans stepped in and split up the Holy Land into four provinces. They're all listed in Luke, under, in the time of John the Baptist. Rome took complete control. Israel ceased to be an independent nation. They ceased to have control of Jerusalem. Remember? Jerusalem was in a riot with Paul and was going to kill him, and the centurion came and took him out of their hands and uh, saved Paul. And the centurion, Romans ruled the city and the nation. And Israel never again had control of their holy city and the holy land. They were, they were never again an independent, sovereign nation until when? Can you imagine? This time it was a long time they had to wait. It was 1947, November 29, the greatest power on earth, once again, gave the command. It was the newly formed United Nations, and it was the greatest power at that time. And, of course, the United States was the main member, and, of course, the U.S. was stronger by far than all the other countries put together. And they'd already just defeated uh, Germany and Japan, So, and, and only they had the bomb. And the Americans could have said, okay, guys, Russia, China, everybody, surrender. Because if you don't, we're going to drop a bomb on you. That was not in the heart of the United States. People condemned the U.S. on all sides. That It's an evil nation. They think they're the world's police. Well, God made Nebuchadnezzar the world's policeman. And God chose to make America the world's policeman. And the U.S. failed to be the policeman, though we've been condemned for being. We failed to be the world's policeman to save Cuba from the communists, to save Korea from the communists, 
to save Vietnam from the communists, we could have easily, but we made it a political ball game. I mean, we could have wiped out Korea and took, taken over. We could have wiped out Vietnam in about two or three days, the North, the communists, but it was a political football. They didn't want to. It's, it's, it's sad. And I'm not talking about hearsay. These are known facts. The U.S. failed their duty to protect the weak from the evil. They should have. And now, this is a communist country. The communists have taken over. And I don't believe that they'll lose the next election because they're going to fix it again. They're experts. You know what? The Democratic Party has embarrassed Mexico. Mexico thought they knew how to fix elections. Whew. They're only beginners. <laughs> so I doubt that the Republicans will get back in. And amazingly, most Latin Americans who are citizens vote for the Democrats, not knowing that they are destroying the land that you came to live in and inherit. They are wiping us out. They have a plan. They've had the plan in print for 70 years. They want the nation to be brought down so that communism and a one-world government can take over. And many Latins are going to go back to their country when, they, when this country falls. It's going to fall in a horrible and awesome way. <clears throat> it already has fallen, but we just haven't seen the full fru fruit yet. <clears throat> oh, now listen here. We want to we see something important, very important here. There were two times that Israel ceased to be a nation. There were two times that a command was given to restore the nation by the greatest powers on earth at the time. <clears throat> In both cases, the command was given by the most powerful political power on earth, power on earth. Therefore, Therefore, since there were two times that Israel ceased to be a nation, and since there have been two commands to restore the nation, and since there will be two comings of the Messiah, do you think it's logical that there would be given two different dates, two different periods of time? He said, from the command to the Messiah will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Okay? You following this or no? Two times they failed, they lost their sovereignty. Two times there was a command. Two times the Lord will come, the Messiah will come. So there have to be two dates. Is that making any sense to you? No? Okay, wait a minute. Let's start again then. <laughs> Some are saying no. <clears throat> okay, from the command to restore the nation until the coming of the Messiah will be two different lengths of time. Seven weeks? How many weeks? Uh, how many years is that? 49, seven times seven, seven weeks of years. So from the command to restore to the coming of the Messiah is 49 years. And from the other command to restore until the other coming of the Messiah, there will be 62 weeks, 434 years. Does that make any sense? Some of you still say no. I don't, I'm not sure where the lack of understanding is. <clears throat> two commands, two comings, and two periods of time between one command and the coming of the Lord and the other command and the second coming of the Lord. That's not difficult, is it? <clears throat> 
Hmm? Or aren't we listening? We shut off the computer. <laughs> and to, so then, therefore, we need to understand what the most popular private interpretation is to Daniel's 70 weeks. This is the interpretation for the evangelical world. Let me tell you what it is. They add seven weeks to the 62 weeks to get 69 weeks and then they imitate, they, they invent a year where there was a command given. The, great, the, the most accurate, it's amazing, the most accurate, con, um, trustworthy date in all of ancient history. And you can check this out in any encyclopedia. Is the date that the king in Persia gave Nehemiah the command to build the city of Jerusalem and be its governor. 445 B.C. There is no doubt that is the year the command was given. There is no doubt that there were 62 weeks of years until the Lord was born in Bethlehem. It's in the, it's in the final victory. I have the documented historical and biblical evidence. Okay? You can check it out in the encyclopedias. It's not a secret. Okay, are you with me? But the popular private interpretation is you add seven weeks and 62 weeks, and you come up with 483 years, okay? Not 490, there's seven week, seven, one week missing. 69 weeks plus another week. Okay, so then they say, okay, the date is this. This is the date, which is not the date at all. Then they say, that brings us up to the cross. So they're saying, the Lord didn't come. The Messiah didn't come then. Rather, he left then. He didn't come when he came. He came when he left. I'm serious. It says until the Messiah, the prince. Oh, until the Messiah leaves, not until he comes. No, no, no. It's obvious until he comes. The Messiah came when he came. Do you believe that? How many know when the Messiah came? He came the night that the angel told the shepherds in Bethlehem, this night there is born to you in the city of David, Christ the Messiah. Christ and Messiah are the same. Messiah is Hebrew. Christ is from the Greek. The anointed one. He came when he came. He came when the angel said he came. He didn't come when he left. Plus they invented a shorter year. This popular interpretation requires a year that's only 360 days long. I'm serious. It's, it's, it's tragically sad. But this is what most of the church believes. Okay. In 1970, when I was sitting in that specific room, my eyes were opened. <clears throat> there were two commands. There were two comings of the Messiah, there will be, and there are two dates, okay? Seven weeks from that command to Christ is one coming, and 62 weeks from that other command to his birth in Bethlehem. Are we following this at all? Can you raise your hand if you're, if you're getting it? I mean, please help me, because if you, 
don't, I might have to go over it all again. <laughs> we wouldn't want that. <clears throat> Verse 26 clearly says that after 62 weeks, he will be cut off. And of course, they claim that's the cross. Well, that's the life of the cross. Jesus was cut off from the day he was born, cut off from his people, cut off from his nation. He had to flee with his parents to Egypt to survive and not be killed. And he carried the cross daily. He lived a cut-off life, self-denial. That was his life. He said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross daily. Deny yourself and follow me. Because that's what he was doing. He, was, he lived the cut-off life, the cross life, from the time he was born till he died on the cross 33 years later. <clears throat> but he was cut off after 62 weeks, not after 69 weeks. Do you see the fallacy of the private popular interpretation? He wasn't cut off after 69 weeks. He was cut off after 62 weeks. And I know that they invent seven years at the, back at the beginning, which don't exist historically. <clears throat> so there's nothing to, that we have to twist or invent. NIV says, nine, verse, nine, uh, verse 26, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. That's what the Hebrew actually says. After the 62 sevens, after that period of 62 weeks, he'll be cut off. Not after 69. <clears throat> Isaac Newton. How many have heard of Isaac Newton? Oh, now we got some life. <laughs> well, I'm glad you like him so much. <clears throat> he is considered to be the greatest scientist in history. You know that, right? I mean, what he invented and discovered, it's beyond belief. Just one little thing. He discovered calculus higher math. I say he discovered, because calculus, I studied it, you know, for a couple years. It's, when you study calculus, you see this is supernatural. God designed this, not man. And it's true. Isaac Newton didn't invent it. He discovered it. Isaac Newton wrote more about the Bible and the Lord than he did about science. How many knew that? Oh, a few of you. Yeah, he was more interested in the Bible than he was in science, even though, obviously, he was a super genius, even though he spent less time on his scientific things, but was still the greatest scientist ever. Isaac Newton wrote about Daniel's 70 weeks. I was absolutely shocked. Seven years after I wrote or published the book on the final victory, someone gave me a copy of Isaac Newton's uh, commentary on Daniel's 70 weeks. I could not believe what I was reading exactly what the Lord had shown me in 1970. And Isaac Newton says, to add seven, a seven-week period and the 62-week period does violence to the language of Daniel. And no nation on earth has ever written a number in that way. 
It's absurd. And so what Isaac Newton declared, now imagine this, 300 years before us. It was humiliating. <laughs> we got this revelation after it already happened. <laughs> I mean, Israel was already a nation. <laughs> Isaac Newton knew that Israel would be restored as a nation and that from the time it was restored as a nation, the command to restore, until the Messiah would come, would be 49 years. Oh, he made a mistake. I think I did too. Maybe the Lord did. <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm, I'm being facetious. This, the, the command was in f November of 47, 1947. So what's 49 years after that? What year is that? Hmm? 1996. Oh my, we're a little behind. 1996, did the Lord come in 1996? Well, how did he come the first time? He was born, right? Came as a baby. Is there any chance that he came as a natural baby for a natural people? And now he has come as a spiritual baby for a spiritual people. I'm going to show you the facts. It for sure happened. 1996. The Jews have believed probably since Moses, but we have documented indisputable proof that they believed it for the last 2,000 years, that the Messiah would come 6,000 years after Adam was created. And the Jews were big on genealogies and dates, right? Well, I believe the Bible, do you? Not the modern theologians say, saying, well, there was a gap here and a gap over there and this and that, and, and they stretch the time. If you follow the biblical chronology, according to our calendar, not God's calendar, the Gregorian calendar, Adam was created in the year 4004 B.C., according to our calendar. So our calendar is four years off. That's all. No big deal. The calendar of Israel is about 430 or 40 years off. They know it. They purposely fixed it to cover and hide the coming of the Messiah the first time. <clears throat> okay, our calendar is just slightly off, four years. Jesus was born in what year? Anyone know? 4 B.C., how do we know? Well, we know the very day that Herod died, because he died on an eclipse. Uh, um, historic facts, historical facts. Okay, so Jesus was born in 4 B.C., exactly 4,000 years after the first Adam was created. And Jesus is called the second, last Adam. Okay? 4,000 years. 1996 is exactly 6,000 years after the creation of Adam. When we lived in Israel, the Jews believed that he was, the Messiah was going to come in 1996 because they believed that he would come 6,000 years after Adam was created. There were signs in the streets, the Messiah is coming. We lived there. 
We went through it. And um, for them, he didn't come. Well, and for the church, he didn't come. When he was born in Bethlehem, they all forgot about it. The Messiah hadn't come. The angel was wrong. Shepherds, the wise men were wrong. They were blinded because he came as a baby. But he came as a baby spiritually. He was born, he brought a company of people, two armies, into a spiritual birthing, not the new birth, a spiritual birthing into a higher realm in the heavenlies, like, like Paul experienced when he was caught up to the third heaven. You understand? It was a spiritual birthing. And God has the armies being prepared. Jesus said his coming would be delayed. We're going to look at it tomorrow. I mean, this afternoon. We have another session, right? Thank you for listening to Hebron Ministries podcasts. Christ in us is the hope of glory. We hope that Christ may be glorified in the church. If you would like to know more about Hebron Ministries International, please visit us at www.hebronministries.com. Thank you.